Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. By now, you are probably aware that Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks, uh, but you may not know all the other programming that they offer. So we are providing you with a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash business growth, sign up for the trial, and explore. Look around, see what's there. I think you're going to be really pleasantly surprised. The Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast uh, continues to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, sales professionals, business leaders. Uh, We have been fortunate to be included on uh, just a number of lists of the best podcasts to listen to. Uh, And that is because of the guests. Uh, These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business. And they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. The goal is that you get the information that you need when you need it so that you can implement uh, better things in your business or do, you know, problem solving, whatever's going on so that you can be more successful. And today is no different. My guest today is Tamara Gondor, author, podcaster, keynote speaker, and founder of innovation training company Launch Street. Tamara used, uh, I'm sorry, used to believe that innovation was the domain of a select few, exclusive to certain industries or relegated to a specific job role. But as she's discovered in her 25 years of work and research, everybody has the capacity to innovate. It's a person's unique innovation style, which can be assessed and channeled, that can transform inertia into innovation. 
Thanks so much for joining me uh, today, Tamara. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for having me. I am too. Thank you for being here. Now, um, here's where I want to start. I, I, you know, I said in your bio that, um, you, you know, you used to believe that innovation was the domain of, of a select few, and it does feel like it has been something that's been reserved for a certain group. But you're saying, you know, that it's for everyone, and I'm really curious how you figured that out. Yeah, so, and I'm glad you said it that way, and with almost what sounded like a little bit of hesitation in your voice, which is I think because that narrative that innovation is, you know, for the select few with the cool titles or in the cool departments or on the cover of Fast Company magazine is just this narrative that out, that's out there and it's been out there for so long that we've all kind of bought into it a little bit. And I did too. But let me share a story with you of something that happened early on in my career that really opened my eyes to the fact that if given permission and room and some ownership of innovation, everybody is truly capable. So uh, I was, uh, I, when I very first started my career, I was, I moved to New York City and became an account manager at the second largest advertising agency in the world. Now, as an account manager, that meant that I was the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the totem pole. I was lucky to get coffee and make copies. But I had this incredible boss who thought I was capable of more. So she put me in charge of the big strategy meeting. Now, Diane, this is the meeting where everybody who touches the brand that I was working on in any way comes to the meeting. And we set the strategy for the coming year, how we're going to market, what our advertising themes are, all of it hinges on this meeting. And so it was a client, the account management team, which I was on, you know, accounts payable, people who bought the advertising, the creatives, and most importantly, one creative in particular named Steve. Now, maybe you've known one of these guys. Steve just had that magical brilliance to him. And my job, honestly, on most days was just to hope, hope that I was standing behind him so that I could capture his brilliance and then go execute on it. Like he had ahas all the time. And we put him up on a pedestal as the innovative one. And the rest of us were just executors. So I get the meeting together. The day arrives. I get there early, the coffee's there. I've got easel pads and scented markers on both sides of the room, just waiting to capture Steve's brilliance. You know, my boss comes in and the clients come in and they grab their coffee and I look at my watch and I think, okay, well, creatives are never early. So it's okay that Steve's not here yet. Then everybody else starts rolling in and everybody but Steve. But I think, okay, creatives are never on time, right? That's okay. 9.20, still no Steve, but he, Creatives are always late, so he'll roll in any minute. Diane, 9.40 rolls around, and he's still not there. And now everybody's sitting at the table. The coffee's gone cold, and everybody's staring at me. So I start calling around looking for Steve. I finally get him at home. And I say, Steve, where are you? And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, today's the big day. Today's the strategy meeting. And he says, oh, I just I wasn't feeling the mojo today, so we're going to have to reschedule that. And oh, me. Thank you. It was horrifying. I saw the career flash before my eyes. So we're at this big round table where everybody's staring at each other. It's a big conference table. And I look at everybody and I say, well, Steve's not here. So I got to say, that's all I had. I had no, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. 
So there, this awkward silence fills the room. It's horrible, right? Nobody's saying anything. I'm sweating. Finally, someone pops up from accounts payable, right? People who do the bills and says, hey, I've been looking at the like money and I've been seeing this pattern and that led me to an idea. And then the person who buys media, like all they do is fill time slots on TV. They pop up and they say, yeah, I've been seeing this pattern with our time slots in the competition. And that led me to this idea. And before I knew it, the entire room was bubbling with innovative ideas. And we set the strategy for the year. It grew the business without Steve. Wow. And yeah. And that was my first real experience of like, wait a minute, maybe this narrative that innovations for the select few is actually not right. And, you know, that led me to start to dig into the neuroscience of it, behavioral psychology and kind of how it all really works. And it turns out the research shows us that innovation is something we're all capable of and we all have. We've just let it get dusty over time. But it was that experience that really set me down this path and really made me realize. And when I started to look around and for your listeners too, if you start to look around, you'll see people having hotspots of innovation everywhere because really innovation is simply about, it's the definition that we give is thinking differently about what's right in front of you to create a competitive advantage. So you'll see it. I've seen it in the receptionist. I've seen it in the CEO. I've seen it in the janitor. Right? How do they optimize their job, think differently about a solution, solve a problem? So, but it all hinged on Steve. So, Steve, if you're out there, thanks for not showing up. It led me here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a, such a great story. Um, and it, it got me thinking that do you think part of the problem is that when we decide that a certain role, resides with a certain person that we stop thinking about alternatives. We, we don't, you know, uh, um, expect yeah. anyone else to have an idea. Yeah. So there's kind of two layers to your question, which are so important. So one is from the personal sense, if I decide, well, I'm not the innovative one, Diane is right. She gets to decide she's the innovative one. I just, I just do my job. Yeah. then we're actually shutting down our own ability to innovate. I mean, we're telling our brain, no, thank you. No more ideas. I'm good. So, so there's a personal level to it that's really kind of painful because we start to realize or, or we start to feel less like we're contributing because we're really just checking off boxes at that point. But we do that to ourselves when we decide somebody else gets to be on the pedestal like I did with Steve. Right. But there's a there's a second layer to this that I also think is really important. And if you lead a, a team, big or small, this is essential. So uh, I was doing a workshop. This woman came up to me after afterwards. She worked at a large law firm. And, and Diane, let me just tell you, most of the, the people I work with, both who are in our Everyday Innovator tribe, our membership platform, and kind of as clients, are not the ones in the innovation departments. It's um, like project managers, product managers, the internal auditing team, the sales team. So it's everybody else, right? Yeah. So this woman comes up to me, she works at a law firm and she says, hey, I got a question for you. She said, my company has decided that we need to innovate. We need to think differently if we're gonna you know, thrive in the new economy. And so what they did is they put together a team, a cross-functional team. This team is the innovation team. Their job is to look across the company assess where we can innovate and then come back and report to us of what we need to change. What do you think about that? And yeah, I know you, I can, you already know where I'm headed. And I, I stopped and I said, well, let me ask you a question back before I answer that. How does that make you feel? 
and her body visibly sunk in. You could see it. She said, you know, honestly, it's really demoralizing. I mean, I'm out here thinking about in my work all day long and I've got new ideas. Why don't my ideas matter? She said, frankly, since they've started the team, I've never been more unmotivated to go to work. I feel oh. really engaged. So as a leader, when we set up one person, a tiny team who gets to go behind the black curtain and be the innovator and they get special treatment and get to do all these amazing things, we're not only missing all the human potential inside our companies, but we're also lowering employee engagement drastically. It's this horrible side consequence of siloing innovation. Wow. I, I can so see that. Yeah. And it just seems so misplaced because the people doing the work are most likely the first people who have ideas around ways that could possibly be done differently. Right. They're on the front lines doing their jobs. Why wouldn't you? I, it, it kind of boggles my mind when you think about it. If you, let's say you have a team of 10. Let's just, my, math is not my strong point. So we're going to go small for a second. <laughs> You know, so whatever the number is, but, and you decide, you know, one person is, is the innovator. And then you've got nine people that you're not tapping into. Um, I'm a small business owner. To me, that's a waste of money too. Yeah. There's all this human potential right in front of you. Why wouldn't you tap into that? I've never understood that. Yeah. It, it's gotta be a mindset uh, or, you know, a belief system that, that goes back to that this is the domain of certain people. Yeah. No, I think wow. you're right. And it's unfortunate because it really does squelch innovation. And I don't blame anyone who's bought into that. I think that's the narrative that's been out there for a long time. Yeah. And we just, we really, I mean, our, our whole kind of purpose here at Launch Street is to shift that narrative and open up to all the people um, and to really democratize innovation, which I know sounds very grandiose, but the reality is, as I said, the science actually shows that we all have the ability to do it. We, it the brain's not a muscle, but in this way it acts like one. So, you know, the less you use it, the weaker it is. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So your, your innovation pathways in your brain need to be used. Right, right. And I would imagine that that also uh, leads to better problem solving in the moment. You know what? It really does. So here's the thing about innovation. The, the way we teach it is both a mindset and an action. It, we cover both sides of it because the, I think what you're kind of alluding to here is the reality is if you have that mindset of opportunity and innovation, it happens in the moment. It happens instantly. It's not a struggle. It becomes easy. But if we relegate it to that 3 p.m. brainstorm where suddenly we're supposed to shift gears, it actually feels hard, right? Even right. no matter how good the warm-up exercise is, you know? Yeah. So, so we got to get out of that mindset that it happens, you know, in the conference room and make it a mindset. I, you know, the way I talk about it in my book is actually a mental model. And your mental model guides how you think, how you behave, how you act. And well, what I want to do is give everybody the tools to have a mental model that, that, sparks innovation all the time so that you see the world in that way. Huh. Okay. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of titles to choose from as well as podcasts, Audible originals, guided meditations, and more. 
One of my favorite audiobooks is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager by Scott Miller. For me, I love being able to listen to it anywhere and across my devices without losing my place. And I think you will too. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to explore the variety of audiobooks and programs for yourself. Talk to me about and, and explain to me what is an everyday innovator style. Hmm. I get really excited when I talk about this, so bear with me. <laughs> sure. So, so I'm going to very briefly geek out on the science behind it because that explains how I got to here. Okay. Um, so the neuroscience science shows us a couple of really important things. And I dig deep in the book and in our membership platform about this, but just kind of in the time that we have, one, it shows that we all have the structures for innovation in our brain. It's actually a whole brain experience. I kind of think of it as, um, you know, when you see those images from like the space station and the earth is lit up with all these different lights kind of connecting the different cities across the globe. Yeah. It, it's kind of like that in our brain. So we used to think that innovation was, you know, one little area and you either had it or you didn't. Turns out we all have it and it's across the whole brain. It also turns out that the structures for intelligence and innovation are distinct, which is fantastic for people like me who don't even know what my IQ is, frankly, is probably not that high because it means you don't need one to have the other. You don't need a, a PhD. You don't need to be book smart. You don't need to have a, you know, a certain job title to be innovative. We all have both structures in some way or another. Yeah. So, and on top of that, the brain is flexible, which means we can learn to be more innovative. We can strengthen those skills. So you put all those together and we started to dig into the thing that Steve got me obsessed about was, well, how do we as humans innovate? H how do we do it? We can't all dare to be fearless and step outside our comfort zones. I can't work for everybody. We know it doesn't. I've seen it fail over and over again. And what we discovered in our research is that while everybody's innovative, we all do it, how we innovate is unique to each of us. Our brains are as unique as our thumbprints, no two are alike. And there's actually kind of nine ways that we as humans innovate. I call them triggers because they, it's like activating those parts in your brain. And that everyday innovator style that you mentioned is the combination, and everybody has one, of your top two power triggers and one dormant trigger. So the power triggers are the way you innovate best. They're your natural strength, your wellspring of innovation. And the dormant trigger is the way you innovate the least. I don't like to call it a weakness. That's not how I think you should look at it. It's more like that's gonna, you can do it, but it's gonna exhaust you. So I'm two of the power triggers for me are risk taker and experiential. That means I innovate by leaping and being uncomfortable. I almost need to be uncomfortable to innovate. And the experiential side is in motion. Like I have to see and experience and test things to innovate. I can't innovate just in my head. Laura, who works for me, is a collaborative tweaker. That means she innovates. The collaborative side is pulling disparate people and ideas, experiences together to create innovation. And the tweaker in her is all about, she's brilliant at innovating when something exists and taking it and editing and adjusting. I can't do that. That makes me feel confined if something's already started. So we all innovate in these different ways. So Diane, the way you innovate and the way I innovate is very different. And that's our everyday innovator styles. And as you can imagine, we call it every day because it's all of us, it's the rest of us. It's the business owner trying to gain the competitive advantage, which by the way, so important to know your style because that's how you're gonna gain the advantage is using these strengths to work smarter and to build a business that leverages that. Wow, that, that is 
fascinating. Wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the speechless. That's actually good, right? That means I'm saying something okay. <laughs> oh my God, it's great. It's, and, you know, part of my problem is like my mind is buzzing, you know, yeah, I'm just, yeah, like, yeah. thinking about people I know and myself and trying to figure out where I am. And yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you can go to our site, Diane, and there's a link there. There's a free level and a paid level. Obviously, I would encourage everyone to get to paid, not just because we get the money, but also because it tells you your full style and, and gives you a full report of how to perform at your peak and add the most value you can. Um, but the free level, if you want to taste it, just gives you one of your power triggers. It's a start. Wow, crazy. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, I love this kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> It's really, I think this is really fascinating. So, um, so how does a business owner um, ignite or help to ignite the innovator style in their staff? Ooh, such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that. So, Couple things. Um, let me just start with a kind of foundational point around that. What's beautiful about understanding your everyday innovator style of your team, the people on your team, is really at two levels. One is you recognize that everybody's diverse in how they innovate. And I, and I say that as a foundational element because one of the mistakes we make as leaders, and I have made it, is I innovate this way, and then I expect my team to do it. So I throw out the mandate to innovate, maybe even give them some tools, and then they don't do it the way I would do it, and I get frustrated instead of leveraging the fact that I've got this incredible diversity of thinking on my team. I have learned since that, wow, the inquisitive who innovates by digging and asking questions, that's powerful when I'm stuck and I can't get over that brick wall because their questions are going to help me see a way around the wall. Or... I'm not seeing the trends and patterns or where we need to take the business next steps. Well, I'm going to go to the instinctual who's all about seeing the patterns and the insights and kind of pulling things together in a circuitous way, because they're going to help me figure that out and see how all the dots in front of me connect. So it's important to a recognize that you've got this diversity of thinking on your team. Then it kind of really allows for two things to happen. One is everybody on your team gets to shine and contribute and add value. So they become high performing in their jobs. And as small business owners, don't we need that? We're not $500 billion companies with millions of people that if one person's playing at a mediocre level, it doesn't matter. It's not how it works for us. So we need people to be performing at their peak. This tool allows them to do it, understand how they contribute and innovate more to your point in the beginning. The second level to this is all about the team. If I understand, Diane, how you innovate, I can come to you when I'm stuck because I know that you have a diverse innovator style that's gonna help me. I know how to pull the right people together to have a diverse set of people on the team so it's, we don't you know, kill our innovation with birds of a feather thinking. Um, a lot of my clients actually use it to hire because not as a punitive thing of like you're in or you're not, but how do I best leverage you? How do I set your job up for success? And how do I put you as a puzzle piece into everybody else? So kind of to sum all that up, here's what I'll say. We had a client who had a small team of 25 who just couldn't get along. There were kind of three little mini departments. And there was, you know, there was that mindset of, I know what I do, but what does Diane do all day? Like, how do they even contribute? I mean, like, what is, what is that team? Like, where's their value? So, and it happens naturally. It's not malicious. 
So they got together, they did the IQE. Um, the client called me after the assessment. The client called me after and she said, Tamara, what was amazing about this is not only did we start to solve some of our challenges real time that have been, we've been struggling with because we all started to think differently and innovate. She said, but longer term, the value that came out of it is now we have this unbelievable level of respect and collaboration. And most importantly, we understand how to bring out the best in ourselves and each other. So they went from a team of a little bit of distrust, a lot of mediocrity, to being a team that was high performing, high value innovators, because they understood how all that diversity really was their competitive advantage at the end of the day. That is fascinating. It's incredible to see the transformations. I really, it's probably some of the most rewarding part of my work isn't just seeing business owners and leaders really thrive and get to that next level, but the, the personal value and contribution that people start to feel, and you know this, and, and your, your listeners know this, when your team starts to feel value and heard, their performance goes up, not down. Yeah, exactly, right. Right. There, there's no doubt. And I really, it's funny when you said the thing about using it for hiring, because that was going to be one of my yeah. questions. I, I think it's key. Yeah. Because you right. You, you want your team to be as diverse as possible because then you get the best of each of the styles. That's right. And, and here's the, there's kind of two layers to that that I think are really important in what you're saying. If I can pull them out for a second. Sure. Um, one, one is teams that come from a birds of a feather tend to do okay. Their ideas actually tend to die because they're missing whole perspectives, right? Everybody agrees that's all great, but like they had fun, but it didn't have that power of diversity of thinking. Um, the second layer to that is, you know, when you understand the diversity of thinking in your team, how they act, think, behave, how to leverage them, that friction of you're not like me starts to go away. And it becomes, I mean, constructive conflict is great for innovation. So don't get me wrong. I'm all about debate and argument of the ideas. But you know, when you're working with a diverse set of people that can cause friction too. So we, in fact, we have this whole worksheet around how you add value and how you cause friction because there's actually a lot of power in understanding that. So just a quick example, I have an inquisitive on my team. And they are brilliant because they dig deep, they challenge assumptions, they're always asking questions, which is awesome, except I'm the style that wants to leap and go and ask questions later. So every time, I swear it was always before lunch when I'm hungry, they would ask 10 more questions and I am rolling my eyes, I'm frustrated, I'm like, good Lord, like, can we just move on? But when I realized, oh, he's innovating, right? This is him innovating. I started to not only allow him to ask the questions, but really leverage the fact that that's how he brought innovation. And he profoundly would change my thinking over and over again and help me get to better ideas and find new opportunities when he was given the space to ask those questions. But I had to, I had to understand that about him to get over the eye rolls that I was doing before. Wow, that's so interesting. I was just thinking about, um a project that I worked on a couple years ago where there was someone who it felt to me like just wasn't getting it, you know, yeah. just, just kept asking like these foundational <laughs> fundamental questions. But I wonder if that's what he was doing. Could have been. I mean, I, you know, inquisitives are interesting because 
they are really good at challenging assumptions. And, and what that really looks like is the things that I might be taking for granted. This is the way we've always done it. This is how business works. That's how the deadlines are set up, right? All those things that actually kind of keep me confined. The inquisitive is like, yeah, but why is it that way? Well, how come? And, and that can sometimes come across as, uh, I don't want to say stupid. That's not the right word, Dan. Maybe you can help me here. Like it comes across, <laughs> I don't know, just like uninformed, you know? I don't and know I that it. was the word I was thinking, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be nicer about it, but we've all had it. Yeah. We're like, why are you getting it? <laughs> but there's oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm sure I just offended somebody. I'm sorry. I'm I sure I did too. It's all right. <laughs> we don't really mean it. <laughs> well, it's just that, but that's the friction we're talking about. Um, you know, imaginatives are another type of power trigger and they're all about the future. They are brilliant at taking today's opportunities or today's challenges, excuse me, and figuring out tomorrow's opportunities. So they're very kind of, they feel very la la land and the experiential side to me is very tangible and actionable. So they can frustrate me because they're always pushing 10 steps ahead. And I'm like, I just need to focus out on step one. Do you mind? Yeah. But what they're brilliant at and the way I've learned to leverage them is, oh, they're going to see the pitfalls 10 steps ahead that I'm not even paying attention to. Yeah, right. Right. So they're, they're sort of like guardrails. Yeah. So, you know, you asked the question about, you know, if you're a business owner, and you've got this staff. Imagine for a second that this conversation that, you know, we're having isn't just about my past experiences or theoretical, you know, moments but this is about your team helping you think 10 steps ahead and the teams think 10 steps ahead or challenge assumptions that maybe are, you know, holding your success back or not seeing the opportunity. And I, I, I don't know when this is going to air, but in the time that we're having this conversation, there's a lot going on in the world and yeah. there's a lot of change happening. And, and, and I, I, I'm, you know, my fingers are crossed that all of this leads to betterment for all of us. Um, yeah. And, and I think as a business owner, it means, hey, we got to pivot and change. Like this is not, we're not going to back to business as usual. So I'd want to tap the power of my team to figure that out because to what you said in the beginning, they're doing the work. So why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I tap them there? I'm going to get my team together. In fact, we're, we are just setting a calendar date to get together and say, how has this fundamentally, the shifts that we're making in the business and our customers needs, how are we fundamentally shifting how we do business? And you better believe not only is my whole team up and down there, but I'm also inviting the partners. You know, those like, how do you explain them? Full-time, part-time contractors, like my web guy who's been with me for 10 years. He's not full-time, yeah. but he knows my business. Right. And my social media guy and my SEO guy and my tech guy, because they're in, they're in it with me and they know, and, and they're the ones doing the work. So they're thinking, you know, so their innovation is as important as my team too, for me anyway. Sure. And which I, I think is a great idea. And I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that people are struggling with is all of this. Well, the beginning of this change happened very quickly. Yeah. And so it took, right. Yeah. So it took a little bit to settle in and figure out, okay, whatever. Um, but almost everybody has to innovate right now. Yeah. And, and re-engineer their businesses. You know, every small business does because mm -hmm. there's either new opportunities or they have to figure out new opportunities. You know, they either present themselves or you got to make them. 
No, I'm totally with you on that. And I'll, I'll just pull back the curtain and be fully transparent and tell you that, you know, going into 2020, my business, I had, so I had the assessment, right? That was built over years. And I had this online toolkit and I, I had online platform tools that were kind of looming in the background. My business, the revenue was mostly live stuff, workshops, team events, strategy sessions, right? Summits, keynotes, and that financial rug got pulled out and we had to make a decision and we had to say, okay, we need to pivot. So how do we bring, you know, if you have a little Venn diagram, how do we bring together what we're capable of, what we really do and what our customers now need? And there's massive opportunity that if we have our antennas up and our eyes open, I talk about a lot is jumping the curve. If you're a business owner, the reality is that if you're staying on the same curve you're on, your life cycle's coming to an end because things yeah. are changing. So you got to figure out how do I jump the curve given who I am and what I do? What's the benefit I provide? It's actually about the benefit, not the what. It's the benefits yeah. how you jump the curve. But that's a yeah. longer exercise for another podcast. But yeah. <laughs> That's how you jump the curve, but that's what we have to do. Every business has a life cycle. That's the reality of it. We see it in case studies. Our, our life cycle, some of us hit cliffs out of nowhere in the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And we've got to decide, like, I don't think kind of trying to bump up that life cycle is going to get you anywhere. I think you got to jump the curve and figure out your new life cycle. Oh my gosh, I do too. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. And there's so many opportunities I mean, I, I encounter people and, and who like will bring something up and I'll think, wow, who would have ever thought that? Well, nobody, but we're in this situation. So now somebody did, you know, it's being open to the possibilities. I just bought this thing for my keychain that looks like a, do you know, like an oversized key, like it would, like a big gold key that would go into a big. Oh, dude, door. I just bought one too. <laughs> to open doors. Yes. And press and buttons. I, <laughs> I did <yes>. too. <laughs> and I thought to myself when it came across my Facebook feed, oh my gosh, that's a need that didn't exist exist three months ago. Genius. Like exactly. that is innovation. that's innovation in action. There's whole new needs. I'll give you a, a quick story of a restaurant in my neighborhood. I live in a um I live in Denver and I live in this neighborhood. It's an awesome old school Denver urban neighborhood. And so we've got a bunch of restaurants peppered kind of, you know, in the community. And when this all happened, a lot of them went to, to go and pick up the, the standard stuff, deliberate. Yeah. And that was sustaining them, but they weren't doing great. Right. That's a hard, yeah. that, that does, that doesn't make up for people in the restaurants and the restaurant biz, business industry got hit hard. There's one restaurant in my neighborhood that looked around and said, the owners looked around and said, hold on. So we're in a community of families. What are families now struggling with? Well, I can tell you from having an 11 and a 15 year old boy that they eat me out of house and home every day. <laughs> I am making eight meals a day. Yeah. I don't know where it all goes. <laughs> so they realize this, that you know, people like me, I love to eat out, I will support my businesses, but I don't wanna spend all my money on every you know, to-go meal. So yeah. they started creating meal kits to alleviate the issue I really had, which was, oh my God, I'm creating five meals a day. So they, wow. they saw the opportunity and the obstacle and it helped, has helped them keep their doors open because they really looked around and said, what's the new need my community, my customer has? It's not just to-go, unfortunately. It was right. these meal kits. Because now I pull out a box of lunch, I whip it together, and I'm good. Yep. Yep. 
and and that and you said something earlier that that I, it really bears repeating that it's not how you do what you do it's the value of what mm. you do because yes. that's then where you can look and say okay now how is it valuable you know like we have a um uh i live in in greater cleveland ohio mm. and we have a company that services restaurants that that gives like all the restaurants in town provides their produce and their dairy and so yeah. the state shuts the restaurants down right yeah. and these guys are like okay wait a minute you know we have all these vegetables so you know what they did <clears throat> they put out a notice that said here's the list we're going to start selling these to people call us up tell us what you need drive through we'll stick it in your car because what Love they it. realized was the people who need it are the people and they can't get in the restaurants. So we might as well just go straight to the end user. I love it. That's a great example. And you know, what you kind of brought back about the benefit, I, I, I just, for your listeners is a little kind of exercise to do. This is an exercise that we spend a decent amount of time on in the, in our everyday innovators tribe, our membership platform. Um, in fact, I just did it with them last Friday about jumping the curve is kind of listing out what you do because we get stuck there, but then listing out what's the benefit of what you do. So if you're yeah. a restaurant, your benefit is not tables and chairs. Your benefit maybe could be um, spices from around the world, right? Like a taste experience. It could be community and like coming home because that's the benefit of being there. Um, I had to do it for my business. When we transitioned from live to really truly an online platform, yeah. I had to look and okay, I don't provide innovation training. That's why I would have described it in 2019. The benefit of what we provide is unlocking people's ability to innovate so they can gain the competitive advantage. And when I thought about that, like empowering people to innovate, I realized, oh, this doesn't need to be live. I can totally change this. Um, and actually that's allowed us to scale in a way that I never even saw in front of me before. But to your point, it's about the benefit, not the what or how. Yeah. Yeah. And moving forward, now you have more flexibility because whatever happens moving forward, you can either stay completely online or a hybrid. And yeah. You always have that. Yeah. Someone said it to me earlier, Best. They said they, they've had to do some shifts too. And they said, you know, the, the good news is we now have more revenue streams than we right. would have had in the past would have had. Um, because we're forced to, but when our other ones open back up, these other ones will, you know, those plates will be spinning. Um, and the other thing they said to me that I thought was important for us as, as business owners to really understand, and I experienced this too, um, a client was telling me that she said, you know, Tamara, in the past, we've always wanted to make some of these shifts, but we haven't done it because this other stuff was successful. And success in some ways can be the enemy of innovation because why change? She said that stuff got pulled away. So now we've had this urgency that we've never had. And that's forced us to move faster than we've ever moved in the past. But it's what we've always wanted to do. And we just didn't have the time, the bandwidth, or really the urgency to do it. And now we do. That's so true. Yeah, we, I think there's a lot of us um, that we've got this like part of the business percolating in the back that we never got to because yeah. all this other stuff was taking our time. Rightfully so, it was paying the bills. Um, and I've just gone through this experience over the last four months where we overhauled everything. It's an overhaul, Dan, I've wanted to do for years. years. Right. I know, I me too. I have wanted to do online courses for years and just 
never sat down and worked on it. Right. Because the other stuff took your time. Paid exactly. You know, it's, it's this catch 22 where, yeah. and again, I, just to be clear, I would never wish what the COVID thing yeah. with us. Yeah. I am so, um, I, I so admire the protesters and, and what I hope comes out of the recent situation yes. and George Floyd's death. And I hope we turn that into something positive moving forward. Um, and, I, and I think as business owners, we need to recognize that we've got to, sh everything has to shift. Yep. And, but like I said, there's great opportunity in that too. Right, right. It's the silver linings. Yeah. Right? And it has and so to be, right? have this be for now. What's right. that? I said, why have this be just just a frustrating exercise. Why not try and find the positive in it? Yeah, and I think for a lot of us, um, our, A, our industries have changed uh, for mm -hmm. the good, or they are not coming back the way they, the way they were, or yeah. the, the life cycle back is gonna be too long for us to wait it out. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Okay, I'm going to shift a little because I would love for you to explain what overcoming they send about overcoming they syndrome and who are they? Oh, you know who they are. They're the ones who don't get it and they yes but everything you do. And if only oh. they understood you and your ideas, right? So yeah. uh, let me let me share a story. I'm so I'm so thankful you brought that up because this is one of the biggest killers of innovation. Um, so let me share a story with you. A years ago, I was hired by a global baby care company to reinvent baby care for them. There had not been innovation at this point in, I mean, gosh, since I was born. And uh, they knew they needed to look to the future. So I assembled the most amazing team. We played with baby toys. We checked out formula. We talked to dads, which was the first time in their history when we had done this. And we created a range of new products that we were sure were going to take them into the future. And it was, you know, close in things that leveraged kind of brands and lines and manufacturing that they already had and some further out stuff that was going to stretch them. Maybe they had to acquire or, or shift some things. So my team and I um, fl fly to headquarters to present and we shuffle into the CEO's conference room. Have you been in one of these rooms? Gosh, every time I think about it, it makes me laugh. It had that big wood table that took up most of the room and the chairs are that weird pastelli. They creak a little bit. Yeah. And my favorite part is on the wall are oil paintings of all the CEOs past and none of them are <laughs> smiling, right? They're all arms crossed, like it's horrible. So my team and I are sitting at the top, we're standing at the top behind the podium and it's everybody, right? First to my right is my client and then it's behind him is his boss. And then it's the VP of this department, you know, the head of that department. So my team is presenting me ideas and I am beaming with pride. I just, I'm so proud of my team and the work and you know, the ideas they came up with. But I start to hear this whispering to my right. And it's not my client, it's his boss. And the crazy part about it was, Diane, he, he had, a, I don't remember his name, but he had a mustache so big that he moved when, it talk, when he talked. So I, <laughs> I saw him doing it. And every time, every time we presented an idea, he would lean into my client and he'd go, didn't we try that and we, and we cut it? Didn't uh, R&D look into that and it failed? Didn't another consultant give us that on a different PowerPoint and we shelved it? Didn't our com uh, com a competitor launch it and then it, it went away? I mean, he just, he wow. squashed the life out of every idea, every one of them. And I had what I think is probably the angriest 
longest, longest plane ride home back to Denver ever. And I went through the 12 steps of rage and I probably started at like seven. I think I jumped a few, you know, and I started with how, how dare they, right? Why did they hire us if they didn't want to listen to our ideas? And then I moved into my, my um, client. I was like, how dare my client, if he can't lead his internal team to see ideas and he shouldn't be leading innovation. And when I get off this plane, I'm gonna call him, tell him he should be fired. And then I went on to mustache man. And I was like, oh, how dare mustache man. If, you know, he's obviously too jaded. He should never be involved in innovation. When I get off this plane, I'm gonna tell him they should fire him. And then I went on to my poor team. I was like, oh my God, my team is not the A team I thought they were. They snowed one over on me. When we get the baggage claim, I'm firing them all. It was horrible. <laughs> Horrible. I probably was like mouthing all this to myself too. While I was sitting on the plane. And um, by the time I landed at Denver, I realized who was really at fault. It was me. So here's the thing. I and my team and my client, we had been pushing the boundaries for six months, thinking about the work. Like we were talking about the people doing the work and thinking about it. That was us. We were out there thinking about how to push the limits. And then we shuffled into this CEO's conference room and I expected everybody else across the table, everyone that that's part of the they, to get it. And here I am pushing my brilliance on them and expecting them to be on board with it. Of course they weren't. Of course they became yes butters. Of course they shut it down. And how many times have we been in that situation where you know, we go to someone all excited about an idea, or maybe we present, we've got this beautiful slide deck or example, and they don't get it. So then we look at them and we go, well, they don't understand, right? They don't see it. They're jaded. Maybe a little bit, but the reality is the onus is on us to get over they and the they syndrome. When you are trapped in that victim mindset, you shut down innovation because you do not do what it takes to get everybody else involved. And the reality is innovation doesn't happen solo. It happens in our teams and we need the other people. So when we fall into the they trap, we shut it down, we blame them, and we don't get any traction on our ideas. And if we have time, I'll share a couple kind of key ways you can get over this. The bigger thing is it's really not about they, it's about you and me and owning the fact that we've got to find ways to not just have ideas, but to communicate them in a way that gets buy-in and traction. Okay. Uh, so it's so funny because I'm listening to this and thinking, okay, I, I totally get it. And what would you do differently or what are you doing? How are you doing those things differently now that you've realized this? Yep. So there's two I want to share with the audience that I think are just have been game changing for me. One is something from my experiences. One is something I heard somebody else say that I really incorporated. So after that session, right, with Mustache Man, what, part of the challenge I realized is we present our ideas to people in this kind of like, ta-da, here it is. We're pushing our brilliance on you. And we end it with like, what do you think? What's next? Any feedback? And unfortunately, when we do that, what we're really doing is forcing people into an up or down vote. They either love it or they hate it. And we're humans. So most of us are going to hate it. So Diane, I come to you with this new water bottle. I'll just use a water bottle, new water bottle idea. And I say, Diane, oh my God, this is so great. I have this idea for a new water bottle. It heats up when it's too cold, it cools down when it's too hot. Um, maybe it reads my thumbprint so it knows what vitamins I need and it puts them in there um, and it has a no spill factor. What do you think? And yeah, silence. I'm so glad you did that. Yes, exactly. You become they to me because I'm like, well, Diane didn't get it, right? 
but I'm forcing you into this up or down vote of like all in or all out. And that's part of the reason we mostly get all out, vote down responses. So what Mustache Man taught me is that if I change my language, I change my outcomes. With a tiny shift in my language, I can get people engaged in the conversation and move my ideas forward. So now, and I, I would venture to say that his lesson is part of the reason I've had so much success with clients because this works in new business pitches, this works in sales, this works in like internal where maybe I'm presenting a new process to you. Let's stay with a water bottle. So Diane, instead I'll say to you, hey Diane, I've got this water bottle, it heats up, cools down vitamins. So what would you do to strengthen the idea? Uh, I'm not asking you if you love it or hate it. I'm right. getting you on board. When I do this live with people, I can see their wheels turning like, oh, well, actually, like, I like this, I don't like this, but this will work or whatever. So there's a couple, that's one of them. Like, what would you do to strengthen it? Super simple. Um, what do I need to include to make it work? Let's not assume our ideas are perfect. The person on the other side of the table probably has a, a stake in it that they need to have considered, right? Especially with clients um, and also yeah. with leadership if you're presenting up. My favorite, by the way, and this is for the, you know, you have that person that pokes holes in everything you do. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. living with those people. Uh, yeah, so I know this because I used to be married to one and I'd come home <laughs> and I'd be like, babe, oh my God, I have the best idea. And he would just pew, 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 pew. And I used to get so frustrated. But what I realized is we have to stop avoiding those people. We actually need them because they see the holes that we actually don't see. But, but the shutting down doesn't work. That's when they become they. So for those people, what I do is I say, hey, um, Bob, that's not his name, but hey, Bob, here's my idea. What holes do you see and how would you fill them? So I give Bob the space to poke the holes and then I engage him in trying to figure out how to make the holes better. And I can't tell you the number of times I've done this and been blown away by the innovation that came out of that conversation from someone who in the past just shut everything down. At least wow. that was my perception of them. But I have to take ownership of bringing that out of them. So that's one thing, you change your language, you change your outcomes. Um, in my book, I share a story of a commander of a nuclear submarine, David Marquette. And I, I, I met him, we we're both speaking at the same conference. We became kind of colleagues and friends. And one of the stories he shared from the stage that blew me away, um, and I shared another story about him in the book, is that he talked about how toxic the culture was when he got on this new submarine. So one of the things that he did was he removed the word they from their language. So perhaps he went to someone who was a sailor who was trying to fix something. And in the past, in the, originally he'd go like, where are we? And he'd say, well, I'm not done because um, they didn't have the parts I needed. They didn't get me the parts on time. So he forced people to take they out. So then he'd go to that same person. Is this ready? No. And they'd stumble. And then they'd say, well, I didn't have the parts I needed. I don't have those yet. And while that sounds like a silly exercise, he said, what if, what it happened is it upped accountability for problem solving because everybody owned the solution. Wow. It's so hard to do. Believe me, I stumble all the time and say they, but, but, the, but to kind of sum those two up, right? If, if you position your ideas, your innovation, your new business pitch as hey, it's 90% there, you help me get it to the finish line. Let's do this together. You'll have way more success than forcing people into an up and down vote. So change your language, change your outcomes. And with your team, remove they. Everybody becomes part of the solution. 
I love that. That that is really it's 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 just a different mindset. It's a different way of approaching a situation and and gets buy-in just really. Yeah, and nobody, you know, it, there, I think the truth is part of the reason with Mustache Man and them that it, it failed, it, it, well, I should say part, the reality is the ideas were brilliant. And I don't say that because I led the team. The team created the ideas from the research, not me. It was their, their brilliance. I was just there to guide them along. And it, the ideas were brilliant. We, I failed because as a leader, I didn't, I didn't take into account that, you know, I'm going to these other people and your staff are in the same boat, right? They've got their head down doing what they're doing. Your clients are in the same boat. I was not taking ownership of what it meant to not just have the ideas, but to communicate them in a way that actually opened other people up. Yeah. Right. So to create a dialogue. <laughs> yes. Create a dialogue. That's a great way to say it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Th this, this is incredible information. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I think it's really important that you let the listeners know uh, where they can get your book. Yeah. So the book is on Amazon. And um, if you want to just kind of check out a little more about the book, or if you want to just kind of find out more, you can go to our website. Everything is there. It's on gotolaunchstreet.com, all one word. So G-O-T-O launchstreet.com. So start with a G, end with the street. It's all there too. <laughs> That's great. That was going to be my next question. How do they find you? And you said there, there's a, there's a, um, Oh my God, what did we call it? An assessment that they can take on your website, either the paid or, or the not paid version to find out what their style is? Yep, so if you go to our website, go to Launch Street, there's a big button that says take free assessment. Um, you can take it and you will at least discover part of your style, which is definitely a you know, dip in the toe wow. in the right direction. Wow, that's yeah, so you'll great. You'll get a lot of value in understanding that. Wow, I love that. Thank you so much for um, coming on and, and sharing all this information. I think this was incredibly valuable. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And listeners, thank you. I'd also like to thank audible.com. Uh, you can go get a free trial uh, of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Go over there, check it out, see all of the great uh, audio content that they have for you. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Spark innovation across your federal agency with IT hardware, software, and services from Connection Public Sector Solutions. Your technology procurement challenges will meet their match as Connection's dedicated account managers offer exceptional customer service and our extensive list of supported federal contracts means you'll always get a price that works for your budget. Learn more about innovation for your agency with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.